Welcome to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette, with your host Steve Garrett, MC and DJ at one of the largest Corvette weekends in the country, Corvette Fun Fest, president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri, and radio disc jockey at the number one radio station in Kansas City for over 40 years. Here's Steve Garrett. Hey, thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast that talks about everything Corvette. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. I appreciate you tuning in. You can listen to Corvette today on all sorts of platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, now iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Breaker, Public Radio, Pocket Casts, and Overcast. You can also listen on your smart device. Just say, hey, Alexa, or hey, Google. Play the podcast called Corvette Today, and you're connected. Also, visit my new website, CorvetteTodayPodcast.com. You can sign up for Corvette Today notifications, updates, and information also at corvettetoday.ck.page. I'd like to thank our flagship sponsors of Corvette Today, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City. Hendrick Chevrolet is the largest seller of Corvettes in the Kansas City area, and they ship nationwide. Visit ChevyUSA.com or call 913-384-1550. That's 913-384-1550. Another flagship sponsor of Corvette today is midenginecorvetteforum.com. If you'd like to join this new vibrant forum that focuses on the new mid-engine C8 Corvette, it's absolutely free to join this friendly community. You'll meet a lot of fellow Corvette enthusiasts like yourself at midenginecorvetteforum.com. My guest on Corvette today owns a company that is synonymous with horsepower and high performance. He's the son of a former GM executive who, as a little boy, saw the Mako Shark Corvette and the 63 split window almost before anybody else did. That cemented his love for Corvette forever. His car collection stands at over 250 vehicles. His oldest Corvette of 1953 C1, plus a mule that was owned and used by Zora Arkestuntov. Also in that collection are a Bugatti Veyron, a Ferrari LaFerrari, and my favorite, a Lamborghini Reventon. He's an entrepreneur, he's a racer, he's a philanthropist, and he's also the owner of this highly successful Lingenfelter Performance Engineering Company, Mr. Ken Lingenfelter. Ken, welcome to Corvette Today. Oh, thanks, Steve. I'm glad to be here, believe me. I appreciate you taking the time to do this, buddy. Let's talk about your early years. Like I said, your dad was a GM employee. Talk about your childhood and your love for cars and how that shaped your life because of your father. Yeah, well, you know, my dad worked for Fisher Body in Euclid, Ohio, and he had a pretty good job there. And so it became kind of a routine. Oh, probably when I was five, six years old, he'd come home for dinner. And then he was a real responsible guy, very focused on loyalty to GM and Fisher Body. And so he'd usually have some work to do again. So we'd have dinner and he'd put me in the car and we'd go back to the factory and I'd kind of hang around the factory while he was getting his work done. At the time, they were building the Nomad Wagons, Chevrolet. Fisher Body built the car up to the firewall. And then the car was sent off to what they call GMAD after that. They finished it with the front of the car and all the mechanicals and everything else. So five, six years old, I'm running around the factory looking at all these cars in the assembly line, just being completely amazed by them. But, you know, when I was 10, there was a open house at the tech center for families. And so my dad packed me in the car. We came into Michigan and... We went up to that open house, and I got a look at the 63 split window and Mako Shark. I can still remember to this day walking up to the back of that car and looking through the window, that rear window of that 
63 split window. And I got to tell you, it, it just stuck my socks off. My dad told me I couldn't shut up the whole trip home. You could yak it away. <laughs> but uh, so I was already a car guy because of him and because of the factory. But then after that, I was a Corvette guy for life after seeing that split window car. I don't blame you. The 63 split window, as I've always said on the podcast, was what got me into Corvette as well. You just got into it at an earlier age and you had a great intro into it because of your dad being a GM employee and an executive. Yeah. Ironically, though, Ken, you started off in real estate. Talk about that and then your transition into high performance automobiles. My love for cars just continued to grow all through my early teens and everything else. And I was very involved. We had auto shop classes back then. And so we were taking motors apart and putting them back together. And on our lunch hour, we'd kind of sneak out and maybe do a little drag racing or something with some of the things we were doing. I had a blast. And so as a result, I got very, very focused and very, very interested in performance cars and racing and everything else. Having said that, I needed to make a living. So at I don't know, a very young age, probably 16 years old, I went to work for a title insurance company in downtown Detroit. My job there was pretty menial, called me a book boy. I kind of ran things back and forth for the executives there. Over time, really learned that business uh, pretty well, and it provided the background for me to start my own company when I was in my early 20s. Talk about that because that was a big, big deal, and you were able to sell that, and that was one of the first title companies ever that went public. Isn't that correct? Well, here's how it went. The company that I'd worked for was a very, very well-established Detroit company, and they were acquired by another company out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. They were a much bigger company, and so they wanted to put their own name on the company and do a lot of things differently. And I worked for a guy there who decided that it was time for him to break away on his own and encouraged me to do the same. And so at 22 years old, I started First Metropolitan Title up in small town Howell, Michigan. It was myself and two people. We went about the process of growing a company. And as it turned out, it was really not a very good time to start a business because it was the beginning of the recession back that kind of hit everybody in 79, 80, 81. Actually, it turned out to be pretty good because I had to have a pretty sharp pencil. And as a result, when I had competitors going out of business, I was acquiring their businesses or acquiring their customers as I grew my company. So that part went pretty well. Started with very few people, continued to build the company in the Midwest, uh, acquired other businesses. And in 2003, I had 3,000 employees. We were in 16 states. Wow. And it was the largest title insurance agency in the country. And as a result, the company was in a really good spot to be acquired by another very large public company. And they acquired us and I got on their board of directors and it was just an amazing career, Steve. I faced every possible business thing I think you could ever encounter over those years, but had a blast building the business, raised my family during that period of time. But I have to tell you, I continued with the car thing, the racing, the engine building, all the fun stuff, all the great things that car guys do. And so whenever there was a free moment, that's where my focus was. And that was my passion. Sure. Well, it's amazing to hear that as a young 22-year-old, you got your own business started. And that probably gave you the opportunity to buy your first Corvette. Isn't that right? You know, I did. I acquired my first Corvette in 1977, and I got to tell you, I was still kind of rubbing nickels together with the business, <laughs> and it was the only car I could afford and own. It was 1977, as I said, and as you may remember, those weren't the highest-powered Corvettes, and right. they probably weren't the best in the snow, but I drove that car right through the winter and continued to stay focused on building my business. Just kind of complimented my love of Corvette, I guess. That's great. Now, do you still own that Corvette today? 
you know, I don't. I gave it up, and uh, I'm pretty sorry I did, to be honest with you. We had a foreign buyer that came in, a gentleman from Germany, who was buying for another guy, and he saw that car in the collection, and it was really nothing special. It was white, brown interior, four-speed car, had 70-some thousand miles on it, and probably was worth about eight or $9,000 at the time, and you know, after he toured around and was looking, he came and he was really focused on wanting to buy that car. And he said, you know, I've talked to the owner of the company. He wants to buy your Corvette. And I said, oh, that's not for sale. That was my first Corvette. Right. Well, he said, he's really, really interested in it. He'll pay you $20,000 for it. Oh my gosh. And I said, ah, uh, started to really think hard about that one. And I said, nah, nah. I said, it's, it's just not for sale. I said, tell your owner, I don't want to be rude to him, but it was my first Corvette. So he spent a little bit more time in the collection and ended up coming back to me a little later and saying that his owner really, really wanted that car. And he told me that the owner mentioned to him, I shouldn't think him of being rude, but he would give me $30,000 for that car. Wow. And at that point, as a business guy, right. like I said, it was worth about eight. <laughs> and so I sold it to him. I don't blame you. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do in a situation like that? So. You can always get another one and you can get a bigger one. You can get a better one with more power and everything. Yeah. Well, in, in those days too, you know, I was still building things and everything else. That was a lot of money. Sure. So anyway, I let it go. Was that the Corvette that got away or is there one that maybe you've owned and you sold, but you wish you had back or one that you want that you're really loving you don't have in that class? collection yet? You know, that's an ongoing thing for me, Steve. You know, I'm sitting here, I could bring a trailer up on my computer here. I'm watching it. We're selling a hauler, but there's two or three cars I'm interested in this afternoon. <laughs> I am such a junkie for this stuff. I hope that never goes away because it helps me work with my passion here. But anyway, I keep thinking of one. Do you remember Farrah Fawcett? Who was sure. In, uh, Charlie's Angels? Yeah. Sure. They had her Corvette for sale at Barrett-Jackson in Scottsdale about four years ago, I guess. And it'd been sitting in some barn somewhere. And I mean, it was in really, really awful shape. It was surprising because there were a lot of people that would walk by that car and say, who's Farrah Fawcett? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Which was pretty bizarre. <laughs> they even had the red poster with the bathing suit. But anyway, it sold for 50000 and it needed all of that to go back in it to get it back into shape. At that time, I was just getting tired of project cars. And in hindsight, I probably should have bought it because it was really unique. George Barris did it for. Right. It was green and it had some wild stripes on it and shag carpet in the inside and <laughs> what a great talking point that would have been in the collection. So That is quite a conversation piece for sure. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the Lingenfelter collection in segment number three. Sure. All right. Now, Ken, I'm going to put you on the spot because in preparation for the podcast today, I read a couple stories about your experience in high school at Dearborn High School. I'm not going to spoil it, but I want you to tell the story because it's a great story. Yeah, well, it is a great story and it's something I think about a lot. My dad, as I said, was thorough GM. And I mean, we had Frigidaire things all around the house. He was such a loyal GM employee. But when we moved to Michigan, he took a job with the tech center. And my parents are looking for a place to live, and they picked Dearborn. Well, Dearborn is Ford's headquarters. And so here I come rolling into school with a 69, 396, 375 Camaro. Wow. And I swear it's the only GM product in the parking lot. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, and you didn't ask where your dad worked. You asked what department they worked in at Ford. 
Wow. Keep in mind now, this is like late 60s, early 70s. And so I've got a ponytail down the back of my neck and fond of glasses and a full beard and not my finest uh, look, I can promise you that. But uh, <laughs> but it looked like a lot of other guys too, you know. Sure. But walking through the hallway, there was a guy that had a 302 Boss Mustang and he really resented the fact that I was driving this Camaro to school. So he'd try to either trip me or bump into me in the hallway and try to pick a fight, you know, and come on, Lingenfelder, race me, you know. And right. so at some point, finally, I'd had enough of him. I grabbed him and he grabbed me and right in front of everybody in the hallway, it's after school, you know. And so we decided we were going to race after school. And at 2.30, when school let out, everybody knew about the race. So everybody lined up down this road. We'd call out or drive. And trust me, Steve, this was not the place to drag race. I mean, it was not <laughs> a good idea. But, you know, we were trying to hold up each other's companies. And so I, as it turned out, we did drag race and I smoked him so bad. Uh, I was almost embarrassing. I was embarrassed for him. That's an awesome story. <laughs> he, he should have done the math. If he would have realized what he was racing against, he never would have dared me. I got expelled from school. Really? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And uh, well, the police were really tough on me. They handcuffed me, took me down to the police station. And Ugh. interestingly enough, he didn't get expelled, which was a little bothersome. Well, that's not fair. And I'm not quite sure why. But my dad, after a very stern conversation, went to bat for me and did get me back into school. It took about five weeks. Wow. But I did, and I was able to graduate high school like everybody else did. Still, that's a great story. You had your moment of glory, and I would have taken it too, Ken. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was quite an experience, let me tell you. Yeah, never been a blue oval guy. I've always been a bow tie guy, and that's a great story. Well, me as well. And again, I think a lot of it had to do with the loyalty that my dad had built up with General Motors. Yes. Coming up in segment number two, we're going to focus a little bit more on Lingenfelter Performance Engineering on Corvette Today, the podcast. Hey, honey, are you awake? Mm, I am now. I can't sleep. Since turning 50, I keep dreaming of a red door and a blue door, somehow knowing there are only choices for retirement. Okay. Through the red door, we outlive our money. We have to rely on our kids. We're stuck on a fixed income. It's terrifying. Yeah, that would suck. But through the blue door, our money outlives us. We retire on our terms. Our kids stay our kids, not our caretakers. We make work optional. Yes, that's much better. That's what I want too. But what do we do? We call True Wealth and Company at 913-653-8783. They specialize in helping successful people make work optional. They're our fiduciary Blue Door personal wealth managers. Hey, where are you going? It's 3 a.m. I can't sleep. I'm going to check out True Wealth and Company online at retirewithtrue.com. That Blue Door is going to be our retirement. 913-653-8783. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com. Investment advice offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas. This is the Corvette Today podcast with Steve Garrett. Thanks for listening to Corvette Today, the podcast. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. My special, special guest, Ken Lingenfelter from Lingenfelter Performance Engineering. Ken, in this segment, let's talk a little bit more about the company. Your company was started by your cousin, John. Talk about how you got into the business and how you came about to own the business. So John was uh, an amazing engineer. He'd started basically the engineering company in the early 70s, like 72. Basically, it was a small outfit. Uh, John knew a lot about uh, creating horsepower and really cut his teeth on C4 Corvettes and Oldsmobile Cutlasses and 442s. And he'd grown that company and grown to be a pretty famous drag racer. I mean, there were a lot of people that knew how much experience John had and knew how good at racing he really was. And actually, he had the parts company, Summit Parts, as his sponsor in his drag racing days. 
Unfortunately, John always said that he thought he might kill himself doing this one day. And as a result, uh, that's exactly what happened. In 2002, he had a horrendous drag racing crash in Pomona, California, and ended up dying from his injuries uh, Christmas Day 2003. So it was a very sad situation. I mean, actually, John did recover partially from his injuries, but my understanding is there was a mistake made by the anesthesiologist and he died before he hit the table as they tried to operate, kind of help him out with further things. So insult to injury. But interestingly enough, Steve, it was the same year that I sold all my real estate related businesses to the public company. Wow. I sold my businesses December 15th, 2003, and John passed away on Christmas day, 2003. So John had quite a legacy. Believe me, I don't know if I'll ever live up to John's fame and fortune, but we got an opportunity through John's brother, Charlie. John's brother kind of sought me out and hunted me down and knew that I was a car guy and realized that I was probably in a position to step in and take the business forward. And so some time passed on as things got organized for the company, but then I stepped in bought the assets of the company and took it forward. Timing is everything, Ken, but you've done a wonderful, tremendous job in growing the company. Talk about the mission of Lingenfelter Performance Engineering and where you've taken it since those days when John owned the company. You know, it was interesting. It's a very small company back in those days. It was just one shop and, I don't know, 20 20 plus employees. Now we're uh, two shops. We have a shop still in Decatur, Indiana, the original shop, but we also have a shop in Wixom, Michigan. So we've continued to build performance cars and continued to stay loyal to General Motors. Just about everything we do in the shop are General Motors vehicles. We build engines for resto mods. We build performance cars for racing, for showing. Really kind of depends on what somebody wants to do. If they want autocross, we go down one road. If they want a drag race, we go down another road. Or road race, then we've got other ideas for that. Or some guys just like to go to car shows and pop the hood and beat on their chest, you know, with a Lingenfelder banner across the windshield. So we participated in any and all of that, and we're having a blast doing it. Corvette has always been our main product, but we work on Cadillac CTSV and Camaros and Blazers. And I mean, just about anything that's got something GM under the hood, we can make it go faster or make the car handle better. That's what I was going to ask you. Besides Corvette, what do you guys work on? And it's all GM, isn't it correct? It is all GM. You know, we have done some work on some Chrysler products, and I have a hard time putting the Lingenfelder name on that. We own a number of other brands, uh, companies that I acquired along the way to kind of complement the Lingenfelder business. You know, our friends and fans really think a lot of our brand, and for me to put a Lingenfelder banner on a Mustang. I think our friends and fans might want to come and tar and feather me or something. So (laughs) there's there's still a lot of push between, you know, you're either a Mopar guy or a Ford guy or a Chevy guy. And and we chose really pretty much to stay with GM products. So. And besides the high performance options, you do have crate engines, you get parts and exhaust, Mm -hmm. you offer full packages. Give us a little bit of an overview of that because that's really, really important and very particular. Well, you know, being part of the aftermarket, Market, you know, we all kind of depend on each other. And so we have the supercharger companies we work with. They look to us to help them develop their products. So they'll develop something and get our opinion on it. And we'll put it on a car and then we'll test it for them and then we'll give them feedback. And, and that not only goes with superchargers, with twin turbos, with exhaust systems, with heads and pistons and everything else. 
the aftermarket community works together quite a bit in order to just get the latest and greatest out to customers. So we're really a 50% parts company. We engineer our own parts. We go to SEMA every year and show off our latest and greatest, whether it be new injectors or something new with a supercharger or some new combination between heads and the block and the pistons and everything else. And, you know, these days, a thousand horsepower is kind of what our customers are looking for. Right. So C7 Corvette was an amazing product and gave us lots of opportunity through that direct injection engine to make a lot of horsepower. So we're pretty happy with what we've been able to do that way and we continue to do it. And I was going to ask you about that because with the full package options that you have for Corvette, you've really created a lot of horsepower. Talk about those full packages that you offer for C7 and tell us if what you're working on for the C8 as well. Well, I can do that. The LT1, we were actually a little concerned when General Motors went injection engines uh, rather than the typical LS engines. And, and as a result, we knew they were putting the injected engines in the pickup trucks initially. So we got ourselves a couple of Silverados. We knew that was going to be the motor that was going to end up in the Corvette. I mean, we just tore into them and got most, if not all, our engineering done before the C7 Corvette came out. Outside a little bit of some teasing we got from people wondering why we were at the drag strip with pickup trucks. <laughs> Bottom line is uh, that's really what it took for us to get the fuel injection side handled. And so as a result, that LT1 engine that went in that C7 Corvette, we were making over 600 horsepower with that thing pretty quickly. Wow. The LT4, we had several levels of package. We could do 600, 650, 750, and ultimately then 1,000 horsepower out of that LT4 motor. And uh, of course, the ZR1 came along, 755 horsepower. We didn't spend a lot of time working that engine over. That car is so good, it's almost hard to imagine trying to get anything more out of it. Agreed. I have a 2019 ZR1 as a personal driver of mine. My colors have always been white with red. It's got the big wing on it and everything else. And I have to tell you, Steve, I'm enchanted with that car. I can take it anywhere. Unlike the Lamborghini or a Ferrari or something might be here in the collection, I'm truly, truly in love with that car and enjoy every minute I am behind the wheel. Ken, I've seen that at Corvette FunFest, being the MC and the DJ at Corvette FunFest. I've seen that sure. car there, sat in the car, and absolutely love the color, the spec, the whole nine yards. And I agree with you. It's almost like a perfect Corvette. Well, it's got a manual transmission, too, and I've always been a manual kind of guy. So yep. that car just checks off all the boxes for me. But now we have C8. Yes. So as a result, we went to work on that right away as well. And everything's electronic. Braking, the steering, the everything is electronic in that car. Yes. The en engine management system is quite a handful, and I'd be lying to you if I said we've got it all figured out now. We're into it. We've got four C8s. One is a personal driver for me. It's, again, white with red. Just ended up finishing a trip down to the Corvette Museum where we took a museum delivery on one for my wife, a yellow one. Very nice. Oh, my gosh. They did such a nice job with that museum delivery. It's an amazing car. The weight distribution is incredible. I have some experience with the Ferraris and the Porsches and other things that we have driven, and bang for the buck is huge. Corvette's always been an amazing bang for the buck, but this car, it's just the best. I think you got to have the better suspension, and I like the 2LT probably better even than the 3LT because of the seats and such. So we're having fun and more things to come. That sounds great. Now, we talked about Corvette FunFest and we talked about SEMA. Outside of a pandemic and in a more perfect world, Ken, where does Lingenfelter Performance Engineering exhibit? I've made a lot of friends in the Corvette world over the years, and of late, 
what I've been doing a lot of was I've been speaking at anniversary for Corvette clubs, anniversary parties. I was just one for the Fort Wayne, Indiana club about a week and a half ago. They celebrated their 50th anniversary. And those clubs have shows, and I try my best to get to as many Corvette shows around the country as possible. I'm always a mainstay at the Barrett-Jackson auctions. I've done some seminars for them regarding collecting cars, made a lot of friends there over the years, and done some charity things, worked on some of the cars that have been part of the charity programs there. Dana Meekham and I are good buddies. Dana has an amazing auction company, and I try to get to as many of those as possible. So really, to be very honest with you, my life is very full of travel and to some great shows. For somebody who's as passionate about this stuff as I am, it works out pretty well. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know if you know this, but I had John Craman, Dana Meekham's TV host for all the auctions on Corvette today, and his stories are just amazing. Oh, I know. He talked about all the cars and all the Corvettes that have been auctioned off, what he owns and things like that. And also, Ken, I am the president of the Corvette Club of Kansas City, Missouri. How about that? As a matter of fact, on July 24th, we celebrated our 60th anniversary. Wow. How about that? Very cool. Congrats. Thank you. So maybe when we get back to normal, I can have you come to Kansas City and you can speak at our meetings. I'd love to. I've got some video I can show you, some of our racing. We race with the Optima Ultimate Streetcar Challenge. We've got a guy we work with that does drifting. If you would have told me five years ago we'd be supplying motors to the drifting group, I would have said you're crazy. But uh, it's a very growing part of racing. There's so much there to talk about. And I've got some video and lots of great car guy noise and everything else. I think your guys would really like it. We'd love to have you, Ken. As soon as we get back to normal, we literally have not had a group meeting. We've had Zoom meetings here for the last three months. So once we get back to having regular meetings, I want to have you come to Kansas City and speak to everybody. We have over 250 members, so it'll be a packed house. Yeah, let's make sure we get that done. Absolutely. I've got some friends there also. I think there are a number of people in your club I know, so that would be great. Terrific. Well, in segment number three, we're going to talk, and this is my favorite segment. I can't wait to get to it. We're going to talk about the Lingenfelter Collection. The Lingenfelter Collection has over 250 cars, and we'll talk about that in segment number three of Corvette Today, the podcast. Fact. According to the March of Dimes, 40,000 babies are born each year in the United States with heart defects. At Athletic Testing Solutions, we take that, well, to heart. ATS offers the ATS Heart Check, a series of non-invasive tests to identify possible hidden heart defects in your kid's heart. Frequently, the symptoms of sudden cardiac arrest are masked or misdiagnosed. The ATS Heart Check can help detect congenital heart problems or abnormalities that don't show up during regular checkups or a sports physical. The ATS Heart Check is a terrific option, and it gives you peace of mind that your child is heart safe. Sudden cardiac arrest claims on average 130 young lives every week. Don't let your kids be a statistic. The ATS Heart Check takes only 20 to 30 minutes and it utilizes an EKG, an echocardiogram, ultrasound of the heart. Visit ATSHeartCheck.com. Schedule your child today. Call toll-free 888-537-2597. That's 888-537-2597. You're listening to the Corvette Today Podcast with Steve Garrett. 
Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today. I'm your host, Steve Garrett. My special guest today, Ken Lingenfelter. And this is the segment I've been wanting to talk about and get to as fast as possible because we're going to talk about the Lingenfelter collection. This is a collection of over 250 cars. And one of my favorites is in there, and I'm sure we'll get to talk about it. But Ken, talk about overall the collection right now. How many are there and what is in the forefront and what do you do about keeping the collection fresh? What's interesting, Steve, is over the years, there were a lot of cars that came out and I wanted them all, but, you know, really couldn't afford them. Rubbing nickels together to build a business and raise my family and things of that nature. But when I sold all my businesses, the first set of businesses, I had a little extra change in my pocket and I got an opportunity to buy some of the cars that I really wanted. And, you know, started out with a building that I bought and I had probably about 20,000 square feet of room to put cars in. And so when I saw something I really liked, I bought it and got a chance to enjoy it and try it out and see if it lived up to what I thought it did. And so over time, then I decided I needed to put an addition on the building because it was just getting a little tight. So I added some more and we've got probably between 45 and 50,000 square feet right now. And I'll never forget when I finished it, I told myself, I will never fill this place up. (laughs) And let me tell you something, it's full and probably way too full right now. It's about 30% muscle cars, about 30% exotics. And the rest are Corvettes and some of my old race cars and John Lingenfelder's race cars and cars we set records with. We've got the Blue Angels Corvette. Oh. We actually raced the Blue Angels jet team on the quarter mile. Right. And we smoked them on the quarter mile. But they kind of caught up with us after that. But what was <laughs> fun about that whole thing is we kind of developed a relationship with those guys. And I have to tell you, they are the nicest, most generous, wonderful people to be around they do air shows south of us here at an airport. And when it's every other year, when they come up, we do our best to have them up to the collection for a dinner and we'll have their guys, their mechanics and everything else. We often politely play the video where we smoked them on the quarter mile. but <laughs> Just to rub it in a little bit, right? Yeah, but it's all in fun. But I have to tell you, there are probably 75 Corvettes back there right now. They're the 250. And there are some really great Corvettes people would recognize. There's some pretty wild ones right down to the point where I've had people come in and kind of put their arm around me and walk up to me with their arm around me and ask me if maybe I was smoking something or had a few too many brewskis <laughs> when I bought that car. And, but, you know, there were so many things, for example, you could do with C3 Corvettes. They were already kind of a wild look to them. We've got a Corvette back there called a Cabalista, and it was built by Les Dunham, designed and built by Les Dunham. He's the guy that built the Eldorados for the movies Shaft and Superfly. Wow. He got a lot of acclaim and pats on the back for those cars. But this Corvette, there were only 50 of them done. I think there might be two left. It's pretty wild. It's amazing because, you know, obviously I hang around with a lot of car guys. But I do have some non-car guy friends. And when they see that, they kind of ask me if maybe I need a little psychiatric help or something. (laughs) There's a lot of great Corvettes back there. And that's a lot of what we have fun with. So let me tell you, though, that what happened is we, we got all these great cars. And, you know, we'd have a car club over now and again. And my wife, Kristen, said to me, you know, we should try to see if we can do something with this. So we got the cars arranged, as I said, 30%, 30%, 30%. We have a thriving specialty and apparel business. And we decided we would do charity fundraisers only. And so we set up the collection where it'd be easy to walk through and get a look at all the cars and enjoy them. We picked what we thought were charities that meant the most to us. There's American Cancer Society and Ronald McDonald House and uh, the Pink Fund, a great breast cancer charity and a whole bunch more. And we started just opening for just charity events. I have to tell you, the model has worked out amazingly well. 
We don't sell tickets. Typically, people make a donation at the door. And our deal for the American Cancer Society will typically have four to 5,000 people through the collection on that day. Wow. And our breast cancer event also, you know, breast cancers touch so many people. And uh, that's another one, four or 5,000 people. And we always do it in October because that's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. The process and the thought and the execution of these things for charity fundraisers has worked out so, so well. That's really wonderful. All of them are great charities to donate to as well. Ken, talk about the Corvettes that are in the collection, especially some of the early ones like the Duntov Mules. Explain that one to us as well, because I love those 53, 54, and 55s. I always have said, even on the podcast, that 56 through 62 should have been its own separate generation. I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Talk about some of the early Corvettes and some of the highlighted Corvettes along with that Duntov Mule. The earliest one, obviously, is a 53. We have two of those. One is an engineering car that was in General Motors engineering department. It's got a lot of wild stuff done to it, but no paperwork. I mean, trying to determine what was done or they were trading bodies from cars to different chassis and things of that nature back in those days. This one's got dual quads on it, which makes it really wild, and it's got a, a manual transmission in it. But one of the real unique ones is a uh, supercharged 53 Corvette. And the supercharger adds a whole 10 horsepower to that blue flame six-cylinder engine. So not a lot of power, but Kelsey Hayes wheels on it, wide whites. There were two of them built, and they were referred to as the twins, and we've got one of them. I have no idea whether the other one still exists or not. Hmm. There's a 54 styling car there. Uh, came out of the styling department, had some unique options to it at center console, and it was a real wild, soft silver color, and it's got a blade across the headlight rather than that gate that you see on the 53s and such. We have a Motorama car, which is like a fastback 53 Corvette that we just won a very nice award on at uh, the Amelia Island Concours. That's an amazing car to see, but they called it a Corvair, which is kind of unique. Right. I've seen that car. If you go back into the Motorama books, you'll see it in there. Right. But you're right. The Duntoff Mule car is a car that I bought at a Mecham auction. It was Zora's mule car, basically. Smokey Yannick built the motor. It's uh, considered by a lot of people to be the first V8 Corvette. White, it's got a wild wing that goes from the back of the headrest all the way to the back of the car. We took it to Bloomington Gold, and it got an award there, became part of the Great Hall, and that means it's one of the 50 most significant Corvettes ever built. Right. But we've done video with that, TV with it. It's been to museums all over the country. It was just at the Audrain Museum last year for about six months, along with 12 cars from the GM Heritage Center. It's very cool. Actually, and it did about 160 miles an hour at Daytona and also at the proving grounds that GM had out in Arizona. Wow, that's amazing. That's very cool. Now, I know that it's 30% exotics, and this is kind of where I'd love to get more information on this because you've got a Bugatti Veyron, you've got a Ferrari LaFerrari, and I've always been a Lamborghini guy. You know, that white Countach was the poster on my wall as a teenager, Ken. I had one too. I agree. I had that on a poster as well. Mm -hmm. But talk about the Lamborghini Reventon and the LaFerrari, the Bugatti, and some of the other exotics in the collection. Well, you know, the Bugatti was such, I mean, I bought all these cars new. You know, you had to be and know somebody within these different firms in order to try and get on a list as such. And I just happened to have a really good relationship with Stefan Winkleman at Lamborghini when there was an opportunity to get the Reventon. And they teased me with it a little bit. They showed me the car and in some video and things of that nature. And I loved the video. I asked Stefan, I said, how do I get one? He says, well, they're all sold. Oh. And I thought, oh, boy, that wasn't very nice. You know, give me a chance to look at all this and get me going and then tell me I can't have one. 
I had breakfast with him the next morning and he said they really did have a car for me. He just wanted to be in a position to look me in the eye and promise me that I wouldn't get it and flip it for money. Oh. And I told him, absolutely not. We would keep it in the collection. And so they went on ahead and built it for me. And it's an amazing car built after, uh, you know, a jet that was used by NATO and it's very stealthy looking and such. It's the first million dollar Lamborghini. There you go. That's right. Yep. Came over in a box. I mean, it was such an ex- exciting experience all the way through. I wish I could have been there for the unboxing of that car. It was uh, quite an exciting thing for me, believe me. And it was an expensive car, too, believe me. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was still rubbing nickels together in order to come up with the dough to pay for it. It was worth it, buddy. It was worth it. <laughs> it is worth it, yeah. Talk about the LaFerrari and the Veyron as well. Well, the Veyron, again, I had a friend who had a friend, and so I got an opportunity to get the Veyron. And another amazing car, extremely expensive to service. The tires on the car alone are $23,000 a piece. An oil change, the first service was $19,000. Wow. But it's Bugatti blue with a dark blue around the sides, covered in in beige interior. It's a beautiful car. The LaFerrari, again, you know, you built over the years a very great relationship with Ferrari. They offered those to their better customers and people that they felt comfortable with their brand with. So when the LaFerrari became available, they offered me one of the 500 built. Obviously, I grabbed the chance. Are there other Ferraris in the collection, Ken? Well, there were, and there will be more. I had an F40, a 288GTO, and an Enzo, and all three of those cars have moved on now. We had opportunities to kind of buy them or buy them and sell them at good times. And so we use some of the revenue for those to buy additional supercars. So we have a Tributo coming. We have a Roma coming. Those are two of the latest Ferraris. Those are gorgeous. Yes. So they'll be built sometime next year. And there's a couple more I just don't want to talk about yet, but we've got some other cool things coming up down the way here. I was going to ask you what else is coming for the collection in the future. We'll just have to get on another podcast and we can talk about them once they get here. That sounds like a great idea. There you go. All of these exotics, hypercars, supercars you have, your favorite car is the C7 ZR1. Talk about that a little bit more. We touched on it in segment one, but I want to give you a chance to really gush over that car because it is a great car. Oh, it is a great car. And the, and the thing that's great about it is it's affordable. It does everything I need a car to do. Plus, I can go up and get groceries with it. I mean, it's such a practical car at the same time. And again, huge bang for the buck. Many of the cars, many of the supercars, are sometimes two and three times what it would cost to get a Corvette. The thing is, it's just so easy. It's easy to get into. It's enjoyable. The noise it makes is wonderful. As I said earlier in our thing here today, I'm completely enchanted with it. And I got a lot of cars to choose from, obviously. There are a number of cars back there to, to drive, but by my choice, I'll jump in that first. Now, we'll see. My new C8, I've only had it for about 2,000 miles on it, and it's not a manual, but it has a lot of other unique characteristics, you know, the weight distribution and everything else. I've just had quite a bit of seat time on that, so we'll see if it takes the place of the ZR1. Is Kristen loving her C8? She truly is. I mean, in the Corvette Museum, did such an amazing job with the museum delivery. I mean, they treated her very special, obviously. Maybe we got a little extra attention because of our brand. I don't know. But they did an amazing job. It's yellow. That's her favorite color. She has a yellow ZR1 right now, by the way. It's an automatic. It's a 2019. And, oh. and she tracks her cars. 
So she spends a whole lot of time at Gingerman, and she's been to Mid-Ohio, and she's been to Audubon Country Club and the Thermal, and she's a very, very capable driver. Got most of her training at Spring Mountain, the Corvette Racing School, and she loves passing guys in Porsches. <laughs> Don't we all? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yep. Now, Ken, if somebody wants to come and see the Lingenfelter collection, obviously you do a lot of charity work. Mm -hmm. Is there an opportunity where clubs or groups can still come and see the collection? Well, I have to tell you, in a normal environment, yes. We do clubs. We'll have the Porsche Club or the BMW Club or Corvette Clubs or Camaro Clubs. I mean, that's a constant everyday thing. We did 60 events in the collection last year. Wow. And I'm sorry to say because of the pandemic, we've done zero this year, which is really hard on me. It's hard on our charities and such, but we've been pretty locked down here in Michigan for a long time. And to be very honest with you, we don't want to have anything to do with people not being safe. So we made a conscious decision, at least so far this year, to keep everything shut down. And we'll see how things go. I haven't ruled out the breast cancer event in October yet. It's not looking better. It's looking like it's just not going away. So we may just have to get back to our normal selves uh, next year. But the way to do it, I mean, we just have to have people keep in touch with our website. What is the website for the collection? Well, you just go to lingenfelder.com and there is a separate button to uh, go to the collection. And, and frankly, it's kind of fun to do because there's a 30-second tour of the car collection that's been put to music by one of our charity friends. And then right after that video, there is another video that kind of shows one of our charity fundraisers and what people get to do and things of that nature. So it's worth looking at. Very nice. Very nice. Well, if someone wants to get a hold of you or Lingenfelter Performance Engineering, let's give everybody contact information for all that. Well, I do a lot of Twitter. I'm on Twitter all the time. So it's just at Ken Lingenfelder. We've got the uh, performance companies, lingenfelder.com. And there are ways to migrate to the foundation and also to the collection from that main Lingenfelder Performance Engineering site. So it's just lingenfelder.com. You can pretty much go anywhere. And I'm very available and I talk to anybody and anybody who wants to talk to me about cars. It's just Ken at lingenfelder.com. That's perfect. Twitter is my choice for social media. Okay, that's great. Ken, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Corvette today. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It was so exciting to hear about the history of the company, you as a young boy, and then talking about the Langenfelter collection. Well, thanks, Steve. You never have any trouble having me talk about my passion. and I am really passionate about cars and Corvette, for sure. And we'll have to keep in touch because when some of those new cars come in, we'll have to have you back on the podcast and we can talk about those as they arrive. That'd be great. And, you know, it'd be fun to talk about how well we do with the development of the C8 Corvette because it's like starting all over again, believe me. Absolutely. Let's make a point to have another podcast put together real soon as soon as we get development on the C8 and some of these exotics as they come into the shop. You got it. Let's get it done. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks once again to our flagship sponsors of Corvette today, Hendrick Chevrolet of Kansas City at ChevyUSA.com and MidEngineCorvetteForum.com. You've been listening to Corvette Today with Steve Garrett. If you'd like to contact Steve with any thoughts on the podcast or ideas for guests on Corvette Today, you can email him at DJ at gmail.com. That's DJ at gmail.com. Garrett has two R's and two T's. Or connect with Steve on social media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram using at Steve Garrett DJ. Thanks again for listening to Corvette Today.